Okay, so this is the last in our series on grace. Don't worry, all of our sermons are founded on grace, but um, this is the last in our series. We're particularly looking at the subject of grace. Um, so uh, if you don't turn to the book of Titus, you've got your Bible with you. We'll, in a moment, we're going to read that. The, th- if, the, thing with, the thing with knowing Jesus is that there are so many layers to, of richness about it that it really sometimes can be overwhelming. And there are all kinds of long words that you learn when you become a Christian that you never heard of before. Or you might have heard of, but maybe you didn't understand them in a Christian way or a spiritual way. There's all kinds of different words that we, that we learn when we become Christians. So we learn about uh, justification, which is something we're going to look at in a little bit later this, uh, this morning. Justification is the idea that God declares us righteous um, outside of anything that we've done to deserve it. Uh, we learn about the word sanctification, which is often used in the Bible to, well, we often use it to describe the process of becoming more like Jesus, but actually, actually the word means being set apart for God, and actually the word, the word sanctification in the Bible is used most of the time to describe something that God does as soon as we become Christians, that we are set apart for him, although at other times it does cover that process of transformation. There's regeneration, which you won't find that, oh yeah, there is, there, you will find it once or twice in the Bible, but also you find the words born again, which is basically the same idea, that you are made brand new when you come to know Jesus. There's uh, um, transformation, the idea of um, that once we come to know the Lord and walk with him and gaze on him, that through that process we become more and more like him. There is uh, election, which we looked at a few weeks ago, that before time's eternal, that God in Christ Jesus um, chose his people. Uh, there is glorification, um, the truth of our future destiny in Christ, that we will one day be completely glorified and be given an outer man to match our inner man, that we can fully express all that God has done among us. You learn all these kinds of words. Calling doesn't end in Asian, so I mean we call it calling Asian. Um, all Christian words must end in Asian. Um, calling, which is the idea, where often we use it to describe the idea, what has God called me to? Actually, biblically, it's just decided that Jesus has called you by name to belong to him and to know him. That's the way the Bible normally uses the word calling. So we, we use all of these words to describe, and more, to describe the immense richness that God brings into our lives when we know Jesus. And, and, and not only that, it's like that richness in a very mysterious way stretches to before times eternal where God has purposed um, to have a people in Jesus Christ through to that point where in our lives we come to know him and all of the realities of these things start to, uh, for some of these things they happen in a moment, others a work begins that goes on and then others we have to wait to that moment of seeing Jesus face to face where we experience glorification for example. But our whole story is kind of brought into this richness of Jesus. And um, it's, a, it's a remarkable privilege to know this. This is, this, is not, um, this is not what you would probably expect from a religion, if you like. This, once you get into Christianity, once you get into what it means to know him, you suddenly realise that layers and dimensions of richness unfold before us. Now today we're going to read from Titus. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 15, which is... Um, the verse directly after where we ended last week. So last week we looked at the fact that um, God's grace 
um, creates a people that are zealous for good works. I mean, we really tried to, I remember I tried to blow out any leaves, any kind of dust, any old thoughts about good works where people you're like, oh no, I don't like, don't, I don't like the idea of good works. Listen, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And we really tried to get that clear. And then he goes on. So here we go. Um, Titus 2 verse 15. Declare these things, he's talking to Titus. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. These are now list of good works. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. To, be, to speak evil of no one. To avoid quarrelling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves we were once foolish. Disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Thank you for these precious words, Lord. Uh, they're so rich, they're so powerful, they're so life-giving, they're so joy-bringing. And I pray, Lord, that um, the words I speak would just only only um, help us see these words more clearly. Um, things would not be hindered in any way, Lord. Your word is so pure and rich. I pray you just help me in the speaking and help all in this room in the listening, I pray. Amen. So we're going to focus on this phrase, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's interesting, you've got justification and you've got adoption. The idea of being heirs of eternal life is about sonship, it's about being part of the family. That's actually one of the words I should have said in my list at the start, which I didn't. Another one of the shuns, adoption, that in Christ we become part of God's family. Now here, Paul says we've been justified by his grace, that we might become heirs according to the promise of eternal life. So we've been justified so that we become sons. So there's this link between justification and adoption. Now, here's an observation. I would, one of my observations is this, is that Christians speak a lot about adoption, but not anywhere near as much about justification. And I think perhaps the reason why is that in both those illustrations, if you like, God plays a different role. In adoption, what role does God play? Father. In justification, what role does God play? Judge. Which one are you more comfortable with? <laughs> now, I know maybe many of us have complex father situations, some good, some bad, and all of that. But I think there's something beyond that when it comes to judge. Unless you are related to a judge, some of you here may be, for the rest of us, I think the idea of judge is very distant and quite scary. <laughs> a judge is a person with a heck of a lot of authority. This, this, their, their declaration that goes out determines your destiny, right? And you're waiting in the dock. What, what are they going to say? It's been interesting to follow the story of Ched 
Evans over this week. Uh, I'm going to refer to it. Please, before I refer to it, let me just let you know that I've literally have only read the headlines of the latest developments this week. So if there's any details of the story, um, that I just haven't read them, so I'm using this in a, as a macro illustration. But for the past few years, he has lived with this word over him, hasn't he? What's the word been? Rapist. He's, that, he's lived on... This is a footballer who was charged with rape, I think, about uh, five years, four or five years ago, I think. Did some time for it. Obviously, his career came to an end and, and all of that. And is now he was, he's been acquitted of rape um, this week. Uh, he's been caught court of appeal. He's acquitted him. But for the past few years of his life, that's been the title over this man, rapist. And... Um, because there was a decision made and the judge declared it. And then that shaped his whole life. I think two and a half years, I think, prison. And then obviously, I think he, when he came out, he, uh, he, he's, he, for a while his football club said, oh, maybe we'll take him back in and receive such a negative um, pressure from uh, you know, various groups and lobbying groups that they, they, they didn't do that. And his football career came to an end. And, uh, and this week, the judges, the judges declared... Not a rapist. And now his whole destiny has changed again. Um, though obviously he lives for the last few years. Now, it's, I'm just using it to illustrate the power of the judge's declaration. This is someone with a lot of authority. What, what, what the, the, the conclusion that they come to, whether by themselves or with a jury, uh, shapes the rest of your life. And really does an impact on, upon your whole identity and who you are. And so when it comes to God as judge, we get, I think we get nervous. I don't think if we're that comfortable with it. Um, and even though many of us have fairly complex father issues, at least we will engage with that because we think, I can see where that could get to a good place. So let's, let's just focus on adoption. However, actually, Paul says here that we are justified by his grace. So something happens legally. Something happens legally that we might become heirs. So something has to happen legally before the family bit happens. The reality is, is that God, uh, uh, we are represented as, as moral criminals, if you like. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all said those things we know we shouldn't have said. We've all done those things we know we shouldn't have done. We've all not said those things we know we should have said. We've all not done those things we know we should have done. The Bible is clear that there's, there's no one who is uh, good in that, in that perfect sense, not even one. Um, in terms of fallen humanity. We're all in the same boat, and we're all in the dock. And uh, the question is, how do we get from the dock under that charge of guilty into the front room, all cosy and happy? That's a big move there. There's, that's a long old journey there. How does it happen? We've got to look at this today to understand grace even more. Well, let me just say this. First, we mustn't avoid this whole idea of judgment, judge, justice. We mustn't avoid it. And in fact, actually, if we stop and think about it, I think it's clear that uh, justice is essential to life. I would say justice is one of the pillars that the universe and the creation is built on. Justice is central. It, one, of the, one of the first two words children learn is not fair. Am I right? They haven't got to have a huge vocabulary, but not fair. And the concept of justice is built into humans. The concept of fair, unfair, just, unjust is, is, is absolutely built in from the most simple things. But you bought them a toy. But, but you said you would do that, but you haven't done that. That's not fair. 
But when I did that, you reacted like that. Now they've done that. You're being much softer on them. That's not fair. It's just built in from the start. It's not complex. We understand fair, not fair, just, not just, right and wrong. It's very, very straightforward, uh, actually. It's very straightforward. So uh, let's not avoid it. Let's not pretend that it doesn't matter. It really does matter. The fact that God is just and holy and that we have sinned has created an enormous problem. An enormous problem. But Paul says you've been justified by his grace. Now, what justification means is this. It's a wonderful, wonderful term. It means that God, if you like, in the, in the, in the, in the legal courts of heaven, among, among anyone who wants to hear, declares you righteous. With no actual regard to your state of godliness, but simply because you have trusted in the only righteous one to be righteous on your behalf. You have, you have thrown yourself, if you like, at the feet of Jesus for mercy. And in that faith exchange, your sin on him at the cross, his righteousness gifted to you from that transaction, God, the God of heaven, the judge of all, declares you righteous. It's a declaration that has immense authority. It's a declaration that reaches into every realm. It's a declaration that, that, that shapes your whole destiny from eternity through eternity. It is immensely powerful. It's not something to be uh, dismissed or thought lightly of. We mustn't do that. It's, it is incredibly powerful. And if you allow it to, it will reach every part of your life. You see, God has justified you by his grace and and. and through that, God has triumphed in an extraordinary way. And what I want to spend the rest of this sermon doing is just show you the way that I want to speak about the triumphs of his grace. That through justification, the way that God has triumphed by his grace. The first thing is this, this is that God has triumphed over his own demand for justice while maintaining absolute justice. That's extraordinary. God demands justice. If God didn't demand justice, he would be disqualified as judge. He can no longer judge the earth. He can no longer be the one who comes at the end and puts every wrong right and straightens everything out. If, he, if he's, if he's going to wink at sin, if he's going to just say, we don't worry about that, he's disqualified as judge. Am I right? If a judge is found to be winking at sin, taking bribes or whatever, or being partial, or will I let him off because he's my second cousin? If a judge does something like that, the judge is no longer deemed fit to be a judge. God must uphold justice at every point. God loves justice. God is the ultimate expression of justice. Through the cross, God has triumphed over his own demand for justice while remaining completely just. He has done that by the substitutionary atonement of his son dying in our place. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We mustn't go soft on this. We mustn't fudge this. We mustn't stop talking about this because then the cross makes no sense. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God doesn't just forgive because he's like that, because he's nice, because that's what he does. No, God forgives on the grounds of the shed blood of his son. And so through the sacrifice of his son, God overcomes his own demands. He triumphs over his own demands for justice while maintaining absolute justice. It's extraordinary. What an act. What an act he has done for us. And secondly, God triumphs over the demands of his own holy law while upholding and fulfilling it completely. You've got the Ten Commandments. It's extraordinary law. All the other laws kind of summed up in these ten, these mighty ten words. 
as the Old Testament calls them, these 10 words. Don't add to them, don't take away from them. They're not about, they're not, they're not for a time, for a culture. They transcend all of that. And God says, if you want to live, you do, do the law. If you do these things, you shall live. If you don't, you shall die. And we all fall at the first hurdle, don't we? We all fall at the first one. You shall have no other gods beside me. Our heart are filled with all kinds of other things, naturally, that we worship instead of God. Ourselves, other, other things, other people, hobbies, causes, anything but God. We make idols. We take his name in vain, use his name lightly. We don't take seriously the call to rest. We don't respect our parents. I mean, we all fall on these various things, even if not outwardly, in our hearts, and God searches the heart. And so there's this whole thing of God's holy law. What, what, happens, what happens about that? I'll tell you what happens about that. Along comes a man who fulfills it perfectly, not just externally, but on a heart level, and his name is Jesus. And he is blessed as a result. And then he embraces the flip side of the law, which is the curse. The curse of the law. If you don't do these things, cursed shall you be. And there's this terrible list of curses in Deuteronomy 28. And Jesus embraces the curse of the law at the cross. That word curse means to be taken lightly. The Son of God allows himself to be taken lightly, to be stripped bare, to be humiliated, to be mocked and to be jeered. He allows himself to do that. Why? Because he's embracing the flip side of the law, the curse of the law. And through all this thing, God's holy law on both sides is being upheld. It's being kept fully, it's being, it's being brought to its goal in Jesus Christ. God does this for us in Christ because we were helpless. And so God's justice in this is also upheld. Thirdly, God triumphs over the power of sin as a ruling master. The Bible says we are born under sin as a master. Sin says jump, we jump. We don't know how to win, we don't know how to get, get away from this pollution that kind of makes us so selfish. And we fall into all kinds of things, pride, bitterness, you name it, greed, self-obsession. We fall into all these things. You think, what, what, what woes me? What, what do I do? How am I going to get out of this? It's like we're under this dominion, this rule of sin. What, what do we do to get out of it? It's way bigger than us. Through the cross, God triumphs over sin as a ruling master. You know what? At the cross, God is condemning sin. In Jesus, he's not just, it's, not, it's not just that he's punishing his son in our place. He's actually condemning sin as a power in the body of Jesus Christ. He's dealing with sin. He's putting sin away. He's saying, enough of this. No, no longer will you rule over any humanity that is in my son. No. Enough. You're not going to be in the, under the dominion of sin anymore. If you're in Christ, you're going to be under the dominion of grace. And so sin shall not be your master. You're not under law, but under grace. Under the favour of God. So that's how you walk free from sin. You recognise I'm under the favour and, and, and pleasure and love and delight and power of God. as a free gift. That's what I'm under. From that place, I can walk out of those things that used to grip me. I haven't got to jump when sin says jump. It's like the story, isn't it, of the, of the soldier who leaves the army and he's walking out. He's, he's left. He's signed all the papers. He's no longer under the authority of the sergeant major. He's walking out of the grounds. He's nearly through. And as he's walking out, he hears his old sergeant major shouting to the troops, Attention! And his immediate instinctive response is, Whoa! And then he realises, Hold on a minute. I'm no longer under his authority. And he keeps walking. You don't have to 
jump when sin says jump anymore. Why? Because of the grace of God, you've been justified. God has declared you righteous. You get a brand new start now. You get a brand new, you get a brand new start. That's the word over you now. Not guilty, righteous in Christ. So, so it's just, wow. So what, you mean like we can start afresh? Absolutely. In Jesus Christ, you start afresh. In Jesus Christ, you can put away that old thing. You can sign the documents, you know, sign in Jesus' blood. You've been purchased out of that and into this. The judges said, you are not guilty. I haven't got to live under that anymore. It's wonderful. In Christ, through, through his grace, justifying grace, God triumphs over Satan, the accuser. You see, it appears that before the uh, victory of Jesus at the cross, it appears that Satan had a, a place in heaven, if you like. It's a strange phrase to use. But we read throughout the Old Testament and other places that there's this kind of a picture shown us in heaven and Satan's there accusing. And it's almost like he's allowed to accuse. He's, he has some kind of authority, some kind of uh, room, if you like, to be able to accuse. Um, and, to be able, and there's so much that he can accuse us of, right? It's not like, oh, Satan's going to accuse, no problem. Yeah, problem. Problem. Why? Because I'm guilty in so many ways. This is, good. This is not looking good. But we are told in the book of Revelation, chapter 10, chapter 12, verse 10, it says this, I heard a loud voice in heaven. Normally voices in heaven are loud. You ever notice that? Why is that? Because it's like, this is the final word. You don't get to shout over this. Yeah, you might have objections, but they're not going to be as loud. You might, you might have some little arguments as to why not. Listen, this is heaven's word. Okay? It's final. This is God speaking. You do much better to just receive it. Okay? I heard a loud voice from heaven. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. He's been thrown down. So he can try and accuse your conscience now, but he's got no voice in heaven. He's been thrown down so he can whisper all kinds of things and get, try and tie you up in knots. But when he tries to shout, there's, no, there's a loud voice coming from heaven saying, no, victory, 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 victory. Through the triumph of Christ at the cross, the accuser's been thrown down. Isn't it amazing? You know, wow, I can now stand and say, well, yes, all of these accusations are true, but I have a high priest in heaven, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. It's the grace of God. It's justifying grace. Courts of heaven, judges said, declaration has been made. Satan out, Satan down. You've been raised up with Christ by his justifying grace. You are in heaven seated with Christ. He is on the earth. Heaven's voice must prevail. By his grace, he's triumphed over our own prison of guilt and shame. We're so aware, aren't we? When you come to know the Lord, you become aware of your sin. Before that, maybe you've learned, you've learned to just kind of justify yourself or defend yourself or whatever. But when you come to Christ, you know, you come and you, you say, basically, Lord, busted. <laughs> yeah, I have sinned. And you, and you let the Lord tenderize you. But you know what? That can leave you vulnerable and you can, you can, and, and you can find yourself declared righteous, but still sitting in the dungeon of guilt and shame. I'll tell you what Jesus does through his justifying grace. He comes and he kicks that door of your dungeon off its hinges. 
And he says, come on out. Come on out. Believe my promises. Believe what I say. Listen to, listen to Jesus, Luke 4. It's wonderful. It's the start of his ministry. This is the ministry of Jesus. You want to know what Jesus does? This is what Jesus does. Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Liberty to those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Are you sitting in your prison, your dungeon of guilt and shame? Hold on a minute. Jesus is standing in the doorway saying, I've justified you. I've paid the price for your sin. Why would you want to live under guilt and shame when I've paid the price for that? And there's nothing godly or noble about saying, yeah, but Lord, I want to just take a bit of that guilt and shame too. You said, are you saying that what I did on the cross is not enough? Is it not sufficient? That's an insult. It is finished, he cried. It is, it, his atonement was enough. And so we have to be able to receive that in our spirit and say, do you know what? I am walking out of this dungeon of guilt and shame. I'm not living under it anymore. He is my glory and the lifter of my head. I will look people in the eye from now on. And we've all got our past. We all know the things we've done. We all know things that could make us ashamed. And shameful deeds. Shameful deeds, all of us. All of us. I'll be able to look you in the eye though. I can look you in the eye. Why? Not because of me, because of him. And I'm not going to live in that prison. I'm just not going to live there. Why? Because I believe the gospel. I believe the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? If you believe the gospel, you walk out that dungeon. You rejoice. You celebrate. You live in the good of all that he has done. That honours the Lord. That glorifies God. Because that will be a radiant life that will point to him. Finally, he triumphs over death. Wow. <laughs> He's abolished death, the Bible says. He's abolished death. So I'm justified, which means I've come out of death and into life. It started now. I'm no longer in the realm of death. I'm now in the realm of life. My outer man is wasting away, but my inner man is being renewed day by day. That's, that's the realm I'm living in. Death no longer has got any power over my life. It's just falling asleep now. This Bible refers to Christians dying as falling asleep. I thought that the Lord maybe wanted to touch some people today around the fear of death. I used to have fear of death. I used to have fear of a particular illness. I saw a friend of mine die from, from it. And I, I, a fear got into me. And um, I'd always be checking, 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 checking. And, uh, and then someday, one time, I was, I, was a, I was a new Christian. And I was living with this. No one knew. I hadn't told anyone. And then someone had a word of knowledge about, about it. Some, one of you here, you've got this fear of death or fear of this illness. I can't remember fear of this illness. I can't remember what he said. I was like, that's me. And they just prayed for me and just went. Just went. It's the power of the gospel. We haven't got to live under these things. God can do it. We just broke it. Hallelujah. You just broke it. I was gripped by it. I was gripped by it. It's incredible. Justifying grace, Jesus says, you, when you believe, you step out of death and into life, out of judgment and into life. I'm not under, I'm not under that guilty word anymore. I'm under this, right, he's declared me righteous. It's not even like not guilty. He's declared me righteous. He said that the life that Jesus lived and, 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 and the Father's commendation of that has been given to me. That's a gift. That's a gift and a half. It's extraordinary. You think, well, how, how, can, how does the judge do this? The judge does it by the judge becomes the judged. 
The judge says, I'm taking it on. I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. I'm, I'm calling you out as guilty, but I'm going to deal with this. And, and in community, Father, Son, Spirit, we will deal with this. We will absorb this. We will take this debt into ourselves. The Father gives up his one and only Son. What a cost. Jesus Christ gives up his life. Becomes obedient to death on a cross. What a cost. The Spirit of God empowers him in that act. What a cost. This thing is awful. It's it's. It's awful in the, in the most truest sense of the word. And it's awesome. God says, well, we'll deal with it. Why? So that we can declare you righteous and uphold all the wonderful pillars of who I am. That's the mercy and the grace of God. That makes the way for us to come home. That opens the door for adoption. Because you see, God's going to say, no, not only am I going to let you off, I'm going to make you mine. I'm not just going to, you're not just going to let off criminal. I'm going to make you mine now. And I'm going to bring you into my home. And I'm going to teach you the family way. And we're going to, you're going to learn how to walk with me. Adoption. So what's the response? Here's the response. Declare your guilt. <laughs> it sounds counterintuitive. What? The Bible says, when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Our instinct says... If I admit to what I've done wrong, he'll condemn me. The gospel says, if you, if you admit what you've done wrong, you'll be forgiven. And you'll be received. And you'll be drawn into the love of God. And so I want to urge anyone who's never done, you've never, you've never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. It's as simple, it's as, simple as owning your own sin, confessing it, turning away from the darkness and turning to Christ and saying, I want to follow you. It's all been paid for by his work. But it's that act of repentance and faith, repentance and trust. It's not just saying a prayer, it's that heart level, I don't want that anymore. I want you now, Jesus. Be my Lord. In that moment of doing that, he will come to you. He will fill you with his spirit. You will be brand new. You know you're not the same. I want to urge you, urge you to do that. And I want to, I guess, bring a Helpful challenge to those of us that are believers. I want to ask you today, are you clear on who is your righteousness? Who will be your righteousness? I tell you what, this, this releases us from that horrible self-defending lifestyle. You know, that horrible kind of thing where we're constantly covering our tracks, trying to make sure that we look the part in front of other people. We're released from that. We, can, we walk in the, in, in the good of he has justified me and we're able to learn how to live a life of love, not a life of fear that comes out of trying to... Def- Make us show everyone how righteous we are. We can actually learn how to love people because we know I've been loved. I've been forgiven. And most likely any charge you bring against me has probably got some truth in it and Holy Spirit's working in me and I'm working with him on it and I want to become more like Jesus. But you know what? He does accept me. (laughs) Do you know what? He absolutely accepts me. Completely. As I am right now. That's the gospel. In Christ, you are accepted right now, as you are, fully. Isn't it wonderful? It's just an extraordinary thing. This is the grace and this is the mercy of God. And I want to encourage us to celebrate, to sing out, to, to, to bless his incredible accomplishments. Because what he does is he accomplishes these things and then he brings us into it. It's like we travel in the train of his victory. So his victory is our victory. 
His death and resurrection is all this for us. That's why we rejoice. That's why it's not just, it's we blessing him, but we're thinking the whole time, ah, look what I've benefited from this. So should we do that? Let's do that.